Welcome fellow pilots and other podcast listeners to another episode of the Alaska Pilots Podcast. I'm your host, Strategic Communications Chairman David Campbell. And just like in our last episode, I was not available to help record this session. And so today I'll just be editing what was recorded by your MEC Chairman, Will McQuillan, Negotiating Chairman, Chris Gruner, and your Scheduling Chairman, Scott Rubin. In this episode, they'll be talking about reassignment, cancellation, and delay, and discussing the recent ice storm. Well, welcome, and we expect to return to the traditional hosted uh, format soon on the podcasts. But uh, now that we're here into the new year, most of our volunteers are back to flying, which is where David Campbell is. Uh, and after the weather events and with an MEC meeting on the, the cusp next week, we really did think that it was prudent, though, to discuss a few things. So we did decide to, to cut another one of these podcasts without the hosted format. With that said, too, talking about the weather, before we move into the weather discussion, Chris, I do think that it's important that we do an update on where we are on implementation milestones with our new uh, new CBA. Yeah, sure. So uh, there's a lot of uh, pieces that have been moving, a lot of meetings with the company to keep a lot of the stuff on track and the scheduling committee and Scott Rubin, who's on the podcast here today, has been a, a big piece of that. But uh, just a reminder, you know, we've got things like a holiday pay already in place. And I'm sure all of you guys are aware of that because that's been a, a, you know, something that we've gotten a lot of calls about over the last uh, several weeks. Trip construction, we've got Alpa building the pairings uh, using the new rules. ADG has been pay only, but programming is still on track to be complete uh, by the end of March and will be in place for the April pairings. We also have uh, full credit on the deadheads, which starts in February. So that will be 100% credit now for the uh, pairings that contain uh, deadheads. And then we've got, uh, let's see, pay only for reservation days, effective January 1st. And then we've got a couple other pieces here that are uh, in place still now moving along. So obviously, this is kind of a shortened list, kind of truncated, it's not comprehensive. If you look at the contract, this is a reminder and the body of the contract, everything there should be in place. The exceptions are just going to be what's delineated in the implementation MOU. If you want to look and just a few items are there. And then again, the uh, reserve system and the PBS LOAs that are in the back of the contract. And once those get implemented, we'll insert those into the main body of the contract. So it's clear for everybody uh, which rules to follow. So along those lines, I'll start just talk a little bit about the reserve system progress and then kick it over to you, Scott, and you can discuss the PBS and how that that those meetings have been going. Um, so the new reserve system is, uh, we're starting to get some conversations and things moving along on that. I think talking to the company, there is broad interest in getting that implemented ahead of PBS and as soon as possible. In fact, company's going to be meeting internally this month, uh, again, just to kind of get their arms around some of the language, see what training is required for scheduling, things along those lines. The other pieces that we need to get in place are just, uh, again, getting that language updated. So we're starting to work on that. And we'll be meeting with the company in February to sit down and uh, see what questions they have out of their internal meetings. Make sure we're on the same page with the language. Again, just get in front of issues like we've been doing all the way along. And then take a look at inserting the language and just make sure we're all in agreement before we get too far down the road. So not anticipating any issues there, really, it's a lot of process stuff. The other part that's important on that, there are some programming changes that are required in order to make the reserve system work. So 
Uh, we're waiting on a timeline back from Jeppesen on how long that will take. Uh, right now, we're anticipating it being able to be complete before the summer, but just take that with a grain of salt for now. We need to make sure that uh, we get a full report from the, the company, and then we'll let you know when we hear back. All right. So, uh, Scott, what do you got on PBS? Yeah, thanks, Chris. Um, we've been working hard on the PBS uh, joint PBS working group with stakeholders from the company, the vendor, um, companies, IT, of course, Alpa. We just finished up a two-day workshop with NavBlue and the joint PBS working group going through issues and the programming. So the progress is good. We're getting everything lined up for what's required to bring NavBlue and the PBS system on board. The biggest news I'll share is NavBlue is committed to giving us uh, the program in October 31st of this year, 2023. Not that we'll be using it then, but we'll have it in our possession so that the company IT folks can do their regression testing, et cetera, so that our go live is successful and works well. So we're still on track for that using PBS to bid in April of 2024 for the May bid period. Yeah, in addition, just one more piece on implementation. Just remember that the uh, long-stay hotel language will be applied as contracts are renegotiated. So um, there are several cities where that will happen in 2023, but that will be kind of an ongoing process as the hotel committee works with the company on uh, hotel siting. Yeah, I think that's important. And one thing that I get that we kind of glossed over at the beginning of this, when pilots ask about when is this happening and when is that happening? And as you said at the top there, all the provisions should be in effect as uh, unless they're delineated in that MOU in 2206 in full force. And that's where you go to look to see the timeline for when we should see the full force of those residual issues that we just covered. It's a good reference point. Well, I do want to note that while we talked about the things that are going well in implementation, we probably should also talk a little bit about the fact that it obviously doesn't go without hiccups, does it, Scott? And we had uh, here recently a couple of um, couple of hiccups in crew planning as far as uh, trying to implement some of the new contract provisions. So uh, let you talk about that. Maybe I'll jump in on it. Okay. Yeah. So when they posted the February bids, they posted them for a while and um, actually, ALPA scheduling committee caught the air where in the lines, they didn't have deadhead credit at 100%. And we had built the pairings, ALPA built the pairings with the deadhead at 100%. And when they put those pairings into the program that builds the lines, there was an error where they didn't essentially flip the switch to make it 100% credit for the deadheads. So once we notified crew planning of that, their only choice was to pull the bid packets off the pilot webpage and to correct those lines so that the deadhead was 100% credit. And as we know, they, they ultimately made the deadline of having them posted by midnight with the exception of Seattle. They didn't get those up till 1245. And because of that, they agreed to extend the bidding timeline another hour till the close. Uh, the other issue too that we had, since I'm on the the issue of uh, events in this bid period was there was an error when they awarded Seattle FOs. So generally, or not generally, every time you award the captains in a base first, and then you award the first officers. And that way, buddy bidding or a bid avoidance can occur from the FO side. So crew planning had accidentally awarded the FOs first, 
And when they found that error, they had to pull step trades down for every base, even though this was a Seattle FO issue. Rerun the award. There was like little over 30 pilots that ended up with a different award than they had in the first go round. But that error was resolved. And then step trading did open on time uh, contractually. But we get there was uh, north of 30 people as well that had already put in their step trade bids and had to redo them because those bids were purged once they halted step trading while they fixed this error. Yeah. And I know that while that's all frustrating and remains frustrating, the one point of confusion, I guess, that uh, I want to put a finer exclamation point on is that we have been building the pairings in accordance with the new CBA. Like you said, we're getting the 100% credit on the deadheads. We're building the pairings using the cost reference run. But how those pairings get thrown together on a line remains something that normally our, our scheduling team would have some input and some time to be able to, to look at and address. But because of this and the time constraints, they moved on without you having the ability to really take a look at it and, and QC those lines and make sure that there was still good cadence, good days off, didn't lose a lot of the quality. And that was frustrating. Yeah. I mean, uh, we had done all that work prior to that and um, provided our feedback and picked the line solutions that our base reps thought were best suited for the pilot group that they represent. But then when they, the air was found and they had to do that rebuild, there was simply no time to meet the contractual requirement and still get our feedback. So a little frustrating to see the line stats definitely take a dip from where we were to where we ended up. But, you know, we're working hard with crew planning. They don't want to have these errors either. And uh, they're working to fix them and put uh, measures in so the Swiss cheese doesn't line up, so to speak. And, you know, I would echo that as well, that in the uh, post-CBA, even though we may find things that are frustrating or hiccups, the, the ability of the company to work with us now really does seem to have changed, that they're at least engaging. They may still have errors. We may still have frustrations, but we definitely are being consulted and at least have a voice. And when these hiccups occur, at least we're able to, to move timely to address them and then just hope they don't happen a second time after we set expectations. Well, and, and to that point, you know, we just reviewed the reserve lines to make sure the wrap links are going to be correct uh, for the ne- for this next bid period. And that's come out of the frustration of them being posted incorrectly at 14 hours the last, uh, you know, two bids. And so, you know, we're like, hey, let us help you out and let us cross check your work. And company was happy to let us do that so that we don't have that same frustration out there. So it's a good sign. And, you know, we're fixing these errors as we go. And with that said, I think maybe we'll move on from that discussion and implementation on into kind of what I wanted to focus on, which was something we identified during these most recent weather events, which is pilot confusion around what constitutes reassignment, 25X and 25Y of the contract, which was the subject of the negotiating committee comm that went out on Friday. One element that you guys didn't really talk about that has already been implemented is the uh, scheduling floor volunteer program. And I think that might be a a good segue to talk uh, back to what we just mentioned at the top of the podcast about that Pacific Northwest weather event, you know, both right before the holiday and also earlier in December, because that program was pretty successful in helping uh, in a lot of ways. I don't think I have to tell anybody listening to this that once again, when we found the the weather event and a little bit of a struggle ahead of us, we saw the company struggle to perform and uh, the system was impacted. Specifically, we heard from a number of pilots that they couldn't reach scheduling. Obviously, over they had no idea what the plan was, how their trips were going to be repaired or impacted 
we were told of being kicked out of hotels, no hotel available once they, they got to the overnight. We obviously had crews out of place, crews delayed. And then to the uh, the main point of maybe this podcast is to talk a little bit about the ideas around reassignment versus cancellation. So we'll get into that in a little bit. But in general, I think we saw the company run the same playbook of pre-canceling a large number of flights, which has an obvious impact to us as pilots. And, and during the event, there was definitely an information void. And uh, as we know, the recovery was also slow. But again, a bright spot that I do think we highlight on that uh, speaks to both what we've been able to implement was the hard work of the volunteers on both the scheduling for a volunteer program and on contract compliance. So I'm glad you guys are both on the podcast since you both are monitoring those lines. Not only did those volunteers provide a lot of clarity on the application of the contract, but uh, because nobody could reach scheduling, they and we really became the uh, the conduit for issues that had to be fixed. And uh, I think, Ruben, best thing to do is let you maybe talk, since you were on the Scheduling for a Volunteer hotline as both a volunteer and the chairman, and tell us a little bit about how it went. Yeah, we uh, when, the, when the ice storm hit in, in Seattle and Portland and, and the weather events up in Anchorage as well, the volume of calls was crazy to the Scheduling for a hotline. The four volunteers and myself worked for the better part of three days answering those calls. In all, we were able to respond and take about 350 calls, which I know we didn't get to everybody, but we sure tried. The issues that you spoke about, Will, were exactly what we were seeing, not to mention the fact that uh, pilots that were trying to commute had issues and couldn't get a hold of crew scheduling to tell them that they had issues. You know, our main role is not to be a conduit to take calls and, uh, and relay messages to crew scheduling, but that's kind of the role we played during that um, the weather events because nobody could get through the crew scheduling's phone lines, and but they could get through to us. And so we uh, were able to get a Teams chat going with the managers of crew scheduling. And when an issue was had a very close-in timeline that needed to be handled, for a lot of the time period of those events, we were able to get a hold of a manager or even the director of crew scheduling to handle the issues. Again, not what we want to be doing all the time, but it was just something we did to help out our pilots to communicate those issues as best we could to crew scheduling. Yeah, I think it provided a lot of value. Uh, one lesson we learned, though, is I think maybe we need to be a little explicit about one thing that the scheduling for our volunteers are not <laughs> that we did learn from the phone calls you received. Yeah, we're we're not crew schedulers. We do not schedule you. Um, we're not going to tell you where to go or what to do. Uh, that's their job. You know, we had pilots leave us voicemails saying, I'm calling in sick, just wanted you to know. You know, that's not our role. You got to get a hold of crew scheduling to get that done. But we did help facilitate some of those when the pilot couldn't get through and, and they needed to let the company know that their commute was in jeopardy or weren't going to be able to make it in. But you still have to talk to the company when you have those issues through crew scheduling. And to your point there, too, a lot of these pain points that we identified on the scheduling for a volunteer hotline and then also through contract compliance after talking to Mike Rymuth and, and his team were passed on quite candidly to, uh, to management. So I think they understand the pain points. We'll just have to see how they choose to address them. But the parent topic here that we're talking about when we talk about weather events and whatnot, since you're here, Ruben, let's talk about SIO or severe irregular operations how it works and, and really what it means, because I think that there is some confusion along those lines. 
the SIO or severe irregular operations is covered in uh, sections 25BB of the CBA and also under LOA 0905. And in very simple terms, uh, when a severe irregular operations event is declared, it allows a little bit more flexibility to the company on their ability to operate and recover during the event. And in trade, our pilots are compensated for that additional flexibility. And Chris, do you want to speak specifically to that? Yeah. I mean, I think there's two broad things that happen when an SIO is declared. And just to be clear, that's severe irregular operations. It's not just when the company puts irregular operations on their website. That requires discussion with an agreement with uh, you, Will. And so uh, right. they'll send out an email so you know that these differences in the contractual language start applying to you. And I do think that it's worth pointing out, yeah, that does kind of start with a, usually a phone call to uh, me and then also to, uh, to Scott Rubin. And typically we'll have a conversation, a group chat about what they believe the need is and whether it fits the intent of the language. And then we'll take a good hard look at it before we decide and, you know, we may have had two of the SIO events in December, but actually three of them were discussed in the month and, and two of them granted. So you're right. It starts out with a conversation, but uh, go ahead, continue. Yeah. So the first thing that happens is normally if you have a flight departing your base that you're scheduled on and it's still operating, the company can ask but not require you to take a different flight. So during an SIO, the change is that they can require you to take a different flight but they still pay you 150% for that change. So that's change number one. The second one is new in our contract, and that's that all the open time that's in the base that's declared in SIO will be at 200% for the window that the SIO is declared. And so again, that's there to encourage people to pick up and uh, clean up the schedule, help scheduling out. So those are the two main changes that you'll see. Okay, and I think it's worth noting too that you know in all cases those reassignments cannot be scheduled to end more than five hours after the original scheduled trip, unless the pilot and scheduling mutually agree to otherwise. And as you noted, you'll receive one hundred and fifty percent pay for the trip flown or the original trip, whichever is greater. Yep, and that's the same language as would normally be applied. Will yep, so there's no ability for them to go past that five hours unless you agree, and then you get the premium associated with that, just like you normally would. Yeah, that's exactly, I guess, the point I was trying to make. I think there's some confusion about the five-hour threshold. Scott, we saw very limited use of that reassignment provision, actually, but we did note that that 200% premium in the, the new CBA, in effect, for December really did allow the company to balance that recovery a little better, not just Seattle-Portland, but also in all the other bases. Yeah, the uh, 200% um, was a great carrot to get people out to uh, pick up that stuff during those events. And, you know, the utility when they cancel so many flights of reassigning, there's simply just not something to reassign a pilot to. So that's why we didn't see that utilized hardly at all during the SIO. But the 200% was certainly utilized and, and did help recover the operation. Yeah, I do want to point out here real quick, as far as the 200% goes, that was the whole impetus behind the contra contract was to incentivize people to fly rather than to restrict them or put them in a corner with a lot of things. So it's good to see that work out. I'm glad you guys were, were picking that stuff up and that was working the way it was supposed to. And I guess one thing we would do want to make really clear when we talked about these SIO events in December that was maybe a little bit different than the language we just discussed was the fact that the company had actually uh, pulled the trigger on the 200% premium for the month of December 
for all bases. So they have the ability to use that 200% incentive in all open time at all bases where they saw fit, not just where the SIO was declared, but it did indeed prove to be a pretty effective tool. And with that discussed, though, I do kind of want to get back to one of the, the lessons we learned or one of the, the things that we, we thought we needed to address and the purpose for this podcast, which was to uh, have a little bit of a conversation around sections 25X and 25Y in the uh, CBA. There's a negotiating committee com that discusses this in detail, and I think that adding a little bit of a podcast content to augment that would probably be useful. So for that, I guess I'll kick it over to you two, to Chris and Scott. Yeah, so uh, you had a lot of calls on contract compliance regarding reassignments, cancellations, and delays, and how the pay would be calculated in particular. So I just want to start off by saying the definition of a reassignment, a cancellation, or delay uh, did not change from the last contract to this one. So what we changed was uh, how the pay was applied, and then again, how the cancellations were uh, handled in some instances, particularly with the uh, how many contactability windows you're required to sit. So that being said, uh, we'll just take a minute here and kind of walk through what some of the differences are on each of them. And I'll just start by saying that the most important part is where you start in the contract. So for example, if you have a segment of your flight that's canceled, then you'll start in 25X, which is cancellations. And that's going to define that contractual provision and how it's handled. Whereas if you have a segment away from base that's still operating and they give you another one, then you'll go right to 25Y, reassignment away from base. And that's, again, going to define how that contract uh, provision is handled. And after you go from there, subsequently, it's just kind of uh, describes the process, but not necessarily what it's called, if that's, uh, if that's helpful at all. But uh, Scott, I'll send it your way and you can kind of walk through some examples. And Yeah, just to piggyback on what um, you were just saying, Chris, when we if you have a cancellation and, and you're going to start, where do you enter the contract at 25X? That's what we would expect to see annotated on the parent. Don't you agree? Yeah. So where do you enter the contract, like Chris said? And so when a pilot calls the scheduling floor volunteer and they're trying to help them understand which section of the contract applies, how I like to look at it is, is my trip broke and or am I fixing somebody else's trip? So if I have a cancellation in my trip or I'm illegal for leg, then my trip's broke and I enter the contract in 25X cancellation and the rules under cancellation. Have to get me back to base within five hours or the first legal opportunity, but that's the section of the contract I'm in. If my trip is, is intact and I'm you're pulling me off my trip to fix something else, then that's 25Y reassignment and that triggers the 150%. So when you're looking at this from a standpoint of is my trip broke? Yes. Okay. You're 25X. They're fixing your trip and here's the rules that apply. Or if they're pulling you off your trip to fix something else and your trip's still intact, then it's a reassignment and that's the 150% trigger. Yeah. And then in each of those cases, right, the company is required to schedule you to return within five hours of the end of your original trip. There's a lot of questions about this too, because a lot of people didn't get back within the five hours and they're wondering how that works. The bottom line is the, the company's got to put it on the schedule, right? That says, hey, we, we have a trip or something to get you back within that appropriate amount of time, but things happen like weather, you know, maintenance, things along those lines. 
So if something like that precludes them from getting you back when you were scheduled, then they have to get you back at the first legal opportunity. And if that legal opportunity extends past six hours from the end of your original trip, now they have to start using offline opportunities in addition to just the Alaska Airlines trips in order to get you back home. And uh, in all of those cases, that doesn't trigger the 200% or waiving the requirement to get you back quickly. So now the other option would be, let's say there's an opportunity to get you back immediately, maybe within five hours or maybe the first legal opportunity shortly after. But then you say, well, I'm willing to waive that and I'll take this other trip back for you maybe a couple hours later than what you could get me back home on. At that point, if you will waive the first legal opportunity to get you home within five hours, then you're going to get paid 200%. And that's, again, to because you've agreed to help the company out, you're coming back later than the company's obligated to bring you back home. And that triggers that premium. Yeah. So, Chris, the company's going to, Chris Scheduling is going to ask you, hey, are you willing to extend? You say yes, that's the 200% trigger. Um, the other thing to keep in mind, too, is if my trip's broke and I'm under 25X and now I'm not getting home within the five hours, and let's say because there's no flights, whatever the circumstances, and the first legal opportunity is a day later. Potentially, average daily guarantee is going to trigger. It's whatever the highest rig of that trip is, but also then delay pay kicks in. And so it's not like you won't get compensated for your time under this new contract. There is triggers that help compensate where we didn't have before average daily guarantee as an example and delay pay to help compensate you for the time lost on your trip. So if after listening to the podcast and reading the comment we put out on bid block holder reassignments and cancellations. We spent some time to build some examples in that com so that you can go through it at your own pace and understand these situations and what section of the contract applies. If after that, you still have a trip that you think wasn't annotated properly, they put a 25X and you believe it's 25Y, obviously you can call Trank Contract Compliance or the Scheduling Floor Volunteer and have them review it with you as well. But you can email cruise scheduling at Alaska pilot cruise scheduling management at alaskaair.com and send them an email and say, I want you to look at this trip. I think it was annotated improperly and it should be this instead. And they are working through those as they go. But the email format for them is the best way to um, track those and keep, keep up with them and get them fixed if they were in error. Thanks, guys, very much, because I think that the discussion helps, but I also think that the examples cited in the negotiating committee com are fairly useful as well. They certainly seem to help paint the picture and, and help people understand. And uh, I will make sure that, obviously, we end up with the resources that we just talked about, scheduling for volunteer numbers, contact numbers, and contract compliance, obviously, but also that email address for inquiries. And use those resources just to make sure that your trip was handled correctly. I do want to uh, kind of return back to a little bit of the, the themes here in closing that I articulated in the chairman's uh, message on the look forward. And I think that if we did learn something from these weather events and as we've moved forward in implementation is that it is truly really critical that our pilots understand the new CBA. Enforcing that CBA starts with understanding it. And as I just noted, we've got resources available now that uh, can help you clarify when needed between the scheduling floor volunteer, contract compliance, 
and of course your block reps whenever you want to reach out. One of the things that I noted in the update also was a focus on updating and revisiting our strategic plan. And in fact, next week, uh, our strategic planning committee is going to meet in DC following the MEC meeting. And we're going to work to debrief of the plan that, that really brought us where we were and through negotiations and through COVID and through the CBA, conduct, you know, an analysis to, to see what threats and opportunities lie ahead and then start planning for the future. Um, you know, CBA 2025 is actually going to be quickly upon us. But also, I think what's important is that it explore those opportunities that we want to seek improvements on and be able to pursue those on behalf of the pilot group. Because as uh, we've said many times amongst ourselves and certainly heard from the pilots, that just because the, the CBA is now signed, it doesn't mean that there isn't more work to do. And to put a finer point on it, we're always going to continually advocate for the pilots as we find those new challenges to work through, but also those opportunities. And we've, we've heard you loud and clear that there are other issues that, that still need to be addressed. And of course, we do still have contractual obligations ahead of us, too, that were codified in the CBA, like the, the retirement study. Yeah. So along those lines, we're working with the retirement committee to get that retirement study going. And then, you know, it's one of those things. And there's several other ones, like Will just mentioned, that there's uh, always opportunities to solve problems between contract cycles. So we'll be looking out for those working with your reps and just trying to make sure that we're keeping things moving along. So there's still work to be done, uh, even though we're not in the middle of Section 6 negotiations. Yeah, thanks, Chris. And I think that the feedback has been pretty consistent uh, throughout. And there's certainly going to be opportunities to explore, and we're going to continue to seek that feedback. I think we can anticipate that we'll be back out there receiving your feedback and your input in the very, very near future through a lot of our outreach events. And the one very, very final thought, of course, is that as we move into 2023 and, and do reflect on 2022, I really do want to, again, thank this pilot group for the professionalism and the unity that carried us through just so many challenges. And note that on behalf of myself, this MEC, and all of the volunteers, a sincere thank you very much. Let's stay unified, stay focused, stay engaged, because that's our strength. It's our strength through unity. <laughs>